0: friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're doing a little mailbag. I've got a couple of questions that came in that I uh, decided to answer and I needed some help with them. So I called in a favor, actually two favors from two of my friends. Uh, first is Kathleen Golden, who I work with in Austin at our church. And the other is my dear friend, Joshua Graves, who I have known for many years. He's been on the podcast many times. And, and, uh, Something happened with my um, recording. I don't know what the deal was. So, uh, the stuff with Josh, the audio is not as good because uh, something's wrong with my. Um, anyway, long story short, something's wrong with my mic stuff. But, um, first part is with Kathleen. Obviously, like, we office together. So, it's in person, and that turned out great. The one with Josh, the audio quality is a little bit substandard, but you can still hear the conversation. So, um, first part, uh, we're, we're going to talk about some joy. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, some concussions with Kathleen, and then we're going to get into uh, Rene Girard's work on mimetic theory. uh, The second part with uh, Josh Graves. So, uh, at at the podcast, we try to help you navigate faith in the modern world, and I think joy and brain injuries and how do we understand scapegoating one another all are pretty front and center. So, without further ado, first part is with Kathleen, and then don't leave because the next part is with Dr. Josh Graves. So. Here we go. All right, friends. Uh, so here is my coworker, Kathleen. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Never been on before, but uh, we've worked. Here. That microphone is super cold. Like, th- no, 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 like it just. Yeah. Better? Yeah, yeah. Because if you're down here, then it just doesn't pick it up as much. Okay, better.
1: Wait, keep talking in the. I'm talking, I'm talking. I'm so talking, I'm talking. Hey, ha! What, am I the top one or the bottom one? one. Oh, yeah, I see it. All right, keep going. Talking, talking, check it out, check it out,
0: check, 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 check. check. One. check.
1: Hey, Important. hey, hey! I don't talk that loud, so I can
0: turn it up at the end. Check, check, part check, of it check, check, check. I just check, have check. such a deep voice.
1: It does work better when. Yeah, it's just a very masculine um, voice. <laughs> men rule the world.
0: I don't know, what it's just men. I think it's mostly just that my Fre- frequency, deep voice. I had a guy last week on his name Scott Harrison, and he has like this like DJ voice, like uh-huh. raspy, and I was like, "Yeah, his voice is way better than mine." Afterwards, because I was listening to it afterwards, and one of my friends was like, "What's so different about it?" And then I was like, "I, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I guess we our voices are both really great." And so I just sat and found myself talking like this, um, mostly because I'm really insecure. Because there's a guy named Sean. Uh, Adams, who since passed away. Okay. But he was, like, before you got here. Uh, And so, you know, like, Karen Adams? Yeah, you do. Sure. I do. I probably do. But he used to say, he's a radio guy, and he used to say, yeah, Luke, your voice goes up in that higher octave (laughs) sometimes when you're talking. I'm like, I feel very judged. (laughs) And so for, like, three or four years, I've been trying to, like, pull it down, and it it doesn't...
1: I do the same thing when I sing. I want to be one of those bare-toe, those bassy ladies and sultry and that's not me that's not my voice but i want it to be
0: I, you know a lot of people think of me as a sultry preacher so i can understand <laughs> how you'd want to be a sultry you know, you. Yes. musician and all that but you're not okay uh for people who don't know you uh who mm-hmm. they they should I, mm-hmm. I recently just got a i think i told you this on sunday i got a message from someone at west are like mm-hmm. um can you please please get Kathleen back on stage she hasn't been singing um, as much and so like people at Westover love you but my podcast people they don't know you you've been a part of Westover for a couple of years now you've been on uh-huh. staff for when did you actually
1: s- a year last week
0: oh wow I feel terrible confetti that didn't like confetti a, and that is the thing like you're a confetti person I love it yes mm-hmm so you're not in the enneagram, but <laughs> any of my listeners who know people who like to throw confetti that are on the podcast every so often and might have a similar number to me—that that's that's a lot of your energy too. So, um, and you won't tell me my number until I. Assess the, myself. Yeah. You've got you mm. to at least look at something yeah. before I tell you. Okay. But uh, you're a very enthusiastic person. I think you'll, you'll find a lot of joy in that. So anyway, so my listeners have kind of judged you a little bit already. on that. and <laughs> They know what you are. Um, what they can't see is that your shoes are off, which is one of the things shoes that are off. Like my kids first loved about you. You're like, oh, the, the barefoot lady. I'm like, yeah, that's, yep. that's Kathleen. Mm-hmm. And um, anything else people don't know? Like, you like confetti. You don't wear shoes. And... Uh. We've been working um, together for a while now.
1: Yeah, pretty go with the flow,
0: learning all the things. And so you came on as like as a singer, and uh, then you got like <laughs> on we we've converted you to being on staff now. Yep,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you run communications, uh-huh. and connections, connections,
1: and communications. Yep, that's me
0: cool okay um all right so since you're like confetti person i was thinking this question that i got about joy would be something that you and i could talk about okay okay so let me read this one it is uh from a gentleman named andrew downey hi andrew welcome he sounds great Mm Mm-hmm. yeah where do you think he's from by the name andrew downey what part of the country or the world um
1: andrew lives a pretty content life in seattle
0: yeah Not sleepless, just content. No, no. Content and yeah. Okay. Uh So uh, Andrew in Seattle, here's a question. We've all been through... I just changed my voice lower to read the question. (laughs) I just did it. We've all... We've all been through a lot since the beginning of the pandemic. Whether it's the shared adversity of COVID or just personal stuff we're facing, any fresh advice for finding joy when things are hard or for anyone who feels like God is absent in the middle of all of this difficulty. All right, Kathleen. So as a person who like joy is literally framed on your wall, like that's your thing. Yeah. If you're trying to coach someone up, which we know you do on like finding joy, obviously the adversity that people have, we've all been going through for a while mm-hmm. is hard for people to find joy. Any recommendations on finding joy?
1: Um, I mean, the immediate um thing I would say <laughs> in, in the, in the search for joy is the understanding that ultimately God is a source of our joy. So if you don't have that connection there, if you don't have that, okay, let me go to a hiding place with him it it's a it's kind of a, a moo point if you like mm-hmm. friends it's a it's a moo point <laughs> like a cow it's moo <laughs> it's right yeah opinion means nothing no yeah. um but outside of that, there is always joy there is always something where you can go, okay, spending time with the kids. That was that source of joy spend like everything is not the biggest thing. Just take it at piece by time. It doesn't time. have to be the biggest thing. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing. COVID, pandemic, that's huge. Don't look at that. <laughs> 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 look at the small in front of you that like your contentment and the thing that brings a smile to your face. Don't try to tackle the world. You don't need it.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, that's th- not your job. No, I think that's great. I think the like the barefoot thing for Moses is that mm-hmm. take your shoes off because God is in this place. Mm-hmm. I think for like what you just said, like that as people of faith, as Christians, like, God is a source of joy. And if you can take your shoes off and be aware that wherever you're standing is holy ground, that God is in this place, I think joy is the byproduct of being aware that God hasn't left you or forsaken you for wherever you're standing.
1: Right. Just in the fact that you're still doing and being, you're, it's, God's there, you're fine. Yeah. (laughs) There's joy in that.
0: Yeah, I think that, like, the lesson of joy is learning to love the life that you already have. For me, like there's like this myth of satisfaction that like somewhere else it's easier to be aware of God's presence or it's easier to have joy. And so like at some other time in the in, in some ideal like future or like idealized past, like there is an easier access to joy. But I think the real message of joy is now it's right wherever you're standing right here. And right now mm-hmm. it's not like when the pandemic is over, like whatever that <laughs> looks like. I don't know who declares like finish line on that stuff, but, um, or like, you know, when the kids get potty trained or when you get to retirement or like fill in the blank, whatever that mm-hmm. is, it's just like joy is right here and right now. And you said something about like going to, what is the word you use? Like the secret place, quiet, quiet, uh, getting away, yeah, yeah. 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 What, like, what are what are some of those things that help, like, people do that or you do that?
1: Um, <laughs> in all kinds of ways. What um, in the like churchy way of going? Yeah, I'm gonna pray or I'm gonna sing or I'm going to worship or I'm gonna you know get in the word and I'm gonna read some stuff that builds me up and goes, okay, okay, this is not forever. Um, God's with me. He's walking me through on the everyday life it's how do i i go to the movies or i get with friends or play you know spice girls Mm -hmm. and you know dance around like doing those things of okay let me get out of the full of life and get into the intimacy of okay this i know makes me happy this i know brings me joy this i know settles me i don't have to think about everything get with my dog and that's a huge honey it with honey.
0: Yeah. Uh, or Oliver in, in my family. I Yeah, for me, like, knowing that uh, Friday, which is my, like, Sabbath day, oh. uh, like, that's always a real special thing for me. There's a uh, Phoebe Bridgers did a cover of uh, Friday I'm In Love With You. Do you remember that song? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think. Maybe. Sing it. Maybe. You're <laughs> not going to get me that quick. Uh, but anyway, there's a song about uh, it's an old song. It's like 70s or whatever but there's something like Friday I'm in love with you um it's like mm-hmm. ah, whatever I'm not going to sing it but uh I'm going to That's kind of like room my room. thing for like for like okay this is my I like I can not accomplish anything like my sense of like value and worth isn't from what I do or get right. done or a checklist. Um, and it's also not like I have to be out anywhere. I, like I can be home and present with my family and to know like, oh, that's a grounding part of my rhythm to know that that's coming. Mm-hmm. Like there's joy in that. Like I do the simple things that I find life giving on that day and it kind of grounds everything else, even if there's like adversity or stress or projects you have to get done. Yeah, to have yeah. those practices.
1: Because uh-huh. that's, I mean, that other stuff is going to be there always. You're always going to have stuff going on at your job that, you, that makes you crazy or mm-hmm. a- adversity or someone's going to get mad at you. But you can always tuck away and hide away and find that joy thing that keeps you going. So... Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you got to have those practices that, that ground you. And when you're talking about like things at work, you weren't talking about a specific coworker, worker no, that you're no, no, working with no. or like a preacher at your church. That's not N- what you were talking no, about. No, no,
1: no. I wasn't at all meaning here No, no at you, all. You no. couldn't
0: imagine that being here. Uh, no, like I think practice is like, it, also for me like gratitude. If my listeners have heard me talk about it so much, mm-hmm. but like a gratitude practice um, like I think that's foundational because it's easier to see where God was in the past than in the present. And once you develop the like those spiritual muscles to see God, oh this is where God was during this day or earlier today, it develops your eyes to be able to see God in the present. And so I think the more that we practice like God was here, I'm thankful for this, mm-hmm. it it shapes you to be into being the kind of person that can receive joy in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. You're very good. <laughs> <laughs> do you think <laughs> do you think we solved the joy thing? I hope so. Okay. Andrew Andrew? Andrew in Seattle. Andrew in Seattle. He'll have to tell us. Okay. All right. Uh, you want to read this next one? I feel like this, this is right up. your are out. Oh, no. Okay, here there's you go. There's another? You, you okay. can read this. Yeah, there's another one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's about football. So that's exciting because I, l- I love sports and things. Luke! It has an exclamation point, <laughs> so you had to say it. Um, love what you're doing. Oh, this is why you couldn't read it because was no, just bragging was- on
0: yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, because it's football. I know you love football. <sighs> okay,
1: love what you're doing on the pod. Oh, the podcast.
0: That's okay. People call it. I pod get your for lingo. Short. Okay, yeah.
1: <laughs> keep going strong. I have a question for you. I'd love to hear your take, um, but don't really care about what Jonathan thinks.
0: Jonathan Storm, he's the guy who's...
1: Oh, he's coming this weekend. Oh, okay. We don't care about what he thinks. (laughs) My oldest son is in seventh grade. He wants to play tackle football, but my wife is a hard no. She's read too much about concussions, lasting effects of brain trauma. That is so true. I grew up in a football family, and it's killing me that my son doesn't get to play. That's fine. Um, He didn't say that. I did. I've lost sleep over this... Oh and i'm noticing real anger inside of me oh my gosh (laughs) i love the game not like texas idolatry love worshiping blah bail (laughs) i said blah (laughs) bail um and want to have the same memories with my son oh that i've had with my dad my wife is really pissed about this we've argued (laughs) we've (laughs) <laughs> oh bless his heart we've argued about this then it's gotten so bad that I'm now sleeping in the guest room <gasps> oh she can go on days without speaking to me oh that's how bad it is over football that's amazing um next year it's his eighth grade year. If he's going to play tackle football, he's got to play next season. How can I make this happen? I'm already sleeping in the guest room. Oh, bless your heart. Jake. Oh, so what do I have to lose? Um, your family. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, he's in Tennessee. You should have started in Pee Wee a long time ago and acclimated your wife so she could know Just it's not it. that bad. It's not that bad.
0: Oh no, that's rough. We gotta we gotta save the family. We're so we gotta save the saving the family. family. What's his name again? Um, Jake, I think. Um, Jake from somewhere in Tennessee, six one one ninety four six forty in nineteen ninety nine. That's great. Do you know what that means? No, that's how fast he runs a forty yard dash. That's what football players use to like. To like, quantify how fast you are. so Oh, <laughs> so that's fast? No, well, I mean, for normal people, four, six, let's put it this way. I, okay, you've mm-hmm. got a friend who played at UT, uh, uh-huh. Will Matthews. Okay, so one of his teammates is a guy named Aaron Ross. Who, right. Interestingly uh-huh. enough, I had a dream last night that this is a bad dream. Oh. That he died. And (gasps) I went to his funeral with a Catholic priest friend of mine named Jim Martin. And we sat at a table with Kevin Garnett, who played basketball for the, like, won a championship with it. Anyway. Yeah, I know. That was literally Uh my dream last night. And I'm still trying to process that. Okay. Um, So, Ross, uh, Sonia, I hope that doesn't happen here. Anyway, so, Lindsay and I are having dinner, and Sonia won a gold medal, or four gold medals in the Olympics. So, she's super fast. Ross, first-round draft pick in the NFL. Okay. And we're talking about uh, 40s. And I said, yeah, um... 'Cause I had long hair back when I was younger. I, uh-huh. And anyway, I was like, Yeah, oh. if, if I met my father in law when I had this hair, like, it'd be a problem, but he'd be cool if I was one of his players, you know, if I ran a four six forty. and they laughed about how slow a four six forty was. They're like, Oh my goodness, a four six forty. Like they couldn't imagine. And here's the funny thing, I was lying. I never could run a four six forty, but <laughs> Anyway, okay, that's my story about four six forty. And he runs a what? He he runs a four six forty, which is a good time. Like, it's a good time, Jake. Don't yeah. You know you don't have to lie to your father in law. Just be who you are. Let's yeah. Ground. Okay. So Jake is uh, okay. sleeping in the, the guest room. <laughs> oh god. Because he and his wife have this brain injury issue,
1: which is absolutely real. Absolutely real. I uh, my friend who we talked about will is. Like, because of, I mean, they called him the headache back at UT because he would tackle so many people, but he also got tackled himself as a, the position that he played. (laughs) And he has the effects of what happened in, at UT and with the Detroit Lions, he has those effects now that he's like, oh, maybe that's. Like what? parts of his childhood that he just can't remember, and parts of um, high school and different things that he's like, "How did that go again?" Because of the injuries, so it's not not a thing. A thing. It is a thing. However, I think
0: there's risks. to man- there manage.
1: there are those risks, and what is the what? kid playing now? Like, yeah, is there a safer sport? Well, here's the thing. So, is he into chess?
0: I, first of all, someone who's in chess club, I think that's a great. Great. I don't know if it's called a sport, but it's a great game. Is it not? No. Okay. My, so, my my older daughters are in All Star Cheer. Mm. And there's a gym in Dallas that their coach came from that they love a lot. And so, we've got friends who are actually on that same team now. The dad was a, uh, a church planner pastor, a Calvinist pastor for that matter, in Denton, where we used to live. His daughter's on this team. Okay. And so, it's like a big gym in Dallas. Uh-huh. Well, two weeks ago, one of the athletes on that team, it's a bad story, oh, uh, was I can at feel School it. Cheer. Which is typically not as organized as All Star Cheer. Uh, long story short, she tried uh, a flip and didn't land well, and she's paralyzed now. <gasps> yeah, awful story, super tragic. Uh, little kid, or, I mean, she's, not, she's a 16 year old girl, I think, but I mean, she's a kid, and like that—that's real. Like that happens um, mm-hmm. in sport, and so when that happens to me, I'm like, uh, maybe we should get him in chess club or something, because uh, mm-hmm. like sports are inherently. Mm-hmm. like dangerous like you're doing crazy stuff that's part of sport and I feel like part of this conversation is like how do you manage risk and what can you control and what can't you control and like conversation for every parent because I know um, I don't I hope I'm not talking to answer but like I, even the, like the Rosses like they're like ah, we want our kid to play uh, soccer instead of football and there's a lot of football players who are like yeah we want our kids to not play um, but I think the bigger question is like how do you manage risk um which is not an easy thing for anyone to do because how much can you really control and what can't you control Mm -hmm. i mean i wouldn't want my kid to get into boxing because there's like repeated brain injury at a young age like that's terrible for you it's
1: awful but maybe like jujitsu would be a better
0: that's my friend right there (laughs) that's my friend but also like the issue is compromise because you have different tolerances for risk and how do you compromise with someone else and that's like the heart of marriage like is like how do you compromise or any relationship is like what do you what are you willing to sacrifice for someone else and how do you mesh together two different viewpoints when they're they're conflicting yeah
1: what i would question is how much does the kid want to play because ultimately you share experiences you can have that just throwing the football around i would think at the park Mm mm-hmm uh, with a couple of friends Is it the think, same? I don't know I would think so Or like Flag football Can you flag football My And get flag the flag same
0: well, Like you would have to, Like ask Ask your guy Will this Like I mean There's nothing like High school football In Texas Or even like Ohio Where I'm from Like Friday night football Like it's It's something It's hard to replicate that
1: It's something But you know what The band is there also
0: The band is there also <laughs>
1: not discounting the band that might be a fun experience i don't know i wouldn't i don't have any kids but if i did i wouldn't want them to play either really really
0: well here here's also the fun joke is like you're not like a sport person as you would say i'm not a sport person
1: i lied earlier (sighs) lindsey's yeah it
0: was my (laughs) wife's cousin played in a state championship game uh in dallas at the cowboys old stadium a couple years ago um and this is—they uh, were playing against a school from Fort Worth, Everman, and one of the kids got paralyzed in that game. It's so, like these injuries, like you're, mean,
1: you're not selling—you're not selling Jake's wife on this at no, all I'm with not. these stories.
0: I'm not, <laughs> but I think everyone has to like manage the risk. Like I played, and look how great I turned out. My brain works really good. Yep. Yeah, it works goodish. Do I see stars every once in a while? Sure, I do. <laughs> but like concussions were just a normal part of like high school sports back then. I was in a wrestling match and I headbutted the guy uh, like we accidentally like both ducked down at the same time. My body on the mat, my athletic trainer that I've been working with for a back injury like runs halfway onto the mat. The ref doesn't stop it. And so I'm there just like laying on my face on the mat and the guys trying to turn me over and pin me and they just like let it go and eventually like I come back to and do I need to tell you how the match ends and that I won? No, I don't need to. But if you're wondering, <laughs> I did. Um, but like, that was normal. Like, and we didn't think anything of it. And Mm-mm. how do you now process when things are different? But from we
1: know what? more now. So we've got to do better. So sports, I mean, it's a whole mm-hmm. sports has to change. Like the way we do it Yeah, needs to change it. But that's not what we're talking about now. What do you now. think should change about it? I don't know because I don't quite know all of what we're doing, <laughs> but maybe I don't like competition period. Really? No, I mean no, I hate it. <gasps> so what do you hate about it? Um I hate that um it it seems to devalue people and once you show you're good enough, then your your value is put to that and then we don't like the person who's on B team or, you know, the the cheerleaders don't show up to do the vars the J V game. Like it just the value and go, Oh, I'm not good enough for that. So then you're trying to hurt yourself to be better. I don't care. I want us all things- to get to play yeah. and our value be seen in who we are and not what we do. And so like even vocally, I, that's what I did through high school and I wouldn't go to the competitions or I wouldn't audition for the musical because I didn't, I didn't want to be judged on if I could sing. I just wanted to be like, Hey, come have a chance. We
0: should all do it. No big deal. Uh, None of those things are wrong. I completely... I also love competition. (laughs) Part of the reason I write sermons with my friends is because I want to be the first one done. And that (laughs) helps me. (laughs) Which is probably not the most godly motivation for writing sermons. But I, (laughs) I, I... no. I feel very judged right now I, 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 but competition brings I'm out very the best rare. in me it's just like I feel like if I'm going against someone else if I have like this this thing in front of me like I'm gonna mm-hmm. elevate myself and I don't th- like, like jujitsu like I don't feel like I'm ever competing against someone to see if I'm better than them I feel like this is an opportunity to bring the best, best version of myself out uh-huh. and when I don't think you're wrong, though, but I really like competition.
1: And I like what the surprising thing that comes out of someone who doesn't think they're good enough, but they got the chance and then they get to yeah. showcase. So I just I don't I, I don't think, personally like it. So this question is not a good one for no, me. But this is good.
0: But I also think okay. losing is good for you. I I think losing and, like, trying to do something and it doesn't work out, like, that Mm -hmm. is a great opportunity for your character to be formed, develops humility, Mm -hmm. develops, like, respect for other people. And so when you win and you see someone who's lost, like, I've been the loser. I've been on the short side of this. And Uh so I have compassion for them. And Mm -hmm. I'm not convincing you at all. I know you i you are no i'm not but i need to con- see that's did, did you see what i just did there <laughs> i made this a competition about discussing competition <laughs> that i'm competing to see if i'm right i,
1: he, I mean i get that you you lose you li- you lose some you win some yeah. i don't care if you don't you've care. won or lost did you have fun it, did you figure out how new solutions on how to tackle yeah uh, you know did you that's why like football i watch it and i'm like you're running the same play over and over again and you're <laughs> falling every time why let's get creative and because that play worked last week you want to do it get?
0: i don't mm. when my girls finish whatever they do i ask them did you have fun Did uh-huh. you have a good time and there's a guy from church here actually years ago uh who said whenever and his daughter was a good athlete i think she was a i think she went to I think she ran track in college, but he would say, um, I'm happy for your success, but I'm proud of who you are. Hmm. And I really like that. I've adapted that a lot because I don't want to say, Hey kid, you did great. Now I'm proud of you. It's like, I'm proud of you because who you are and the character and all that. But yeah. I'm, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Ah, uh, yeah. I, it does put people on like a scale of like how you. Accept and how you rank and how you view Mm -hmm. them based on wins and losses. And
1: that's not just in sports. That happens just all the time. music
0: does the same thing, though. Music does the
1: same thing. Oh, oh, I I heard your sermon and you're really good. Now I want to talk to you and be friends. Like that, oh, I I just, I I don't love it.
0: Yeah. Well, if our identity is what you do and you are what you do, then you better be good at it. And ultimately, it mm-hmm. becomes like an identity, not just for ourselves, but at other people. Mm-hmm. And so, Kathleen, you can sing, well, we like you to sing, so we like you as a person. Like, that's not really a fair thing for for anyone, like mm-hmm. for you or for, or, yeah. Okay, that's fair. All right, so what do you think, solution for our guy in for Jake in 190, running a 4.6?
1: He's running a 4.6. I would say, you know, um... <laughs> do you like the guest bedroom <laughs> have you d- redecorated are you yeah. calling it home now or it's are you trying to <laughs> up <in> the wall. <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to get back into you know your normal bed <laughs> yeah. I, I would I would figure out other ways to have those memories with your son until he makes the effort like M- I really want this and then you both can go to mom together but if he doesn't want it
0: all right there's there your fight Problem solved He All wants right. to
1: do chess I can Let feel do, it
0: Yeah Watch the Queen's Gambit I think that's actually Not a kid's show Maybe you don't watch that With your kid No But it's Eighth, not a kid's seventh
1: show Seventh grade I don't think he should watch
0: it No My daughter asked me She goes Hey can we watch the squid game And I was like I haven't watched that, but I'm pretty sure that's M.A. on Netflix, so you're not watching that. So don't okay. watch that or the the Chess Club movie. I've heard
1: of this. I don't know what it is. I don't
0: either. It okay. just looks like a lot of people get killed. So uh-huh. um, uh, well, Kathleen, thanks <laughs> yeah. for this. I sure. I feel thanks. like we answered some questions. I hope so. All right. <laughs> All right, friends. We finally got him back. Your favorite and my favorite, Professor from Tennessee, Dr. Joshua Graves. How are you? What it do? What it do, baby? It's good to see you, man. Now, many people know you as the guy who, like, he's he's all up on my stories during one week in the month of July. That's right. But you're more you're more than just like my vacation buddy.
2: Good. You got li- layers. Like you're a yeah. We move in and out. Faster. We we move in and out of a lot of situations. Right. We're just, we're just yeah. We're figuring out life as we go. We're raising we our six kids. Well, we've got three, and you've got three um that we was me and car not you and me um yeah so six kids between, I, between our two families I, they're almost the exact same age we love it it's beautiful it moves way too mm-hmm. fast but it's still awesome
0: yep and our kids have an eerily similar personality with birth order
2: that's the craziest part of the whole thing Yep. yeah
0: there, there there's a real possibility that we would have four out of the six total kids that we're raising. I feel like we're raising together. I don't know why you want to distance me from that. Um, (laughs) I, I would like to think that I'm like a, you know, just hopefully never be a creepy uncle, but like a pseudo, like I'm not your twin brother, but like I'm somewhere in there, but I would like to think at some point of four out of the six kids that we're raising could end up with matching Enneagram numbers.
2: Yeah. Well, my kids remember you always because you're one of my few friends who th- could actually like take me down. And so they're impressed by that. Like they, they, they don't see the other people, but they see you.
0: Well, okay. Not that we ever get violent in front of the kids because we <laughs> are lovers, not fighters. But the fact that they would think that means a lot. Now, yeah. Um, my kids think of you as the guy that makes me look like your your baby brother because you're a few inches taller than
2: me. <laughs> Just a few. Your girls are so sweet. And because I'm around boys all the time with, with my kids and then coaching uh basketball, it, it's such a beautiful thing to be around your girls and see how they defy gender stereotypes, but then at the same time they accentuate the best of, you know, stereotypes about women. So it's it's fun to be around them.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, like the what-if game. Yeah, like, yeah, what exactly. if we had all boys instead of all girls? And so, like, for one week, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. that's yeah. There's a different energy,
2: for sure. Yeah. Oh, like, that, you, you can know. watch ESPN at 7 o'clock at night. You don't have to wait till go till they go to bed. Yes. You can put yeah. on all day, every day.
0: <laughs> and, and they don't get mad at you for it. Like, walking in, like, hey, one hey, of the hey, first hey. – and it's like NBA playoffs are on, and, like, Lucas is just, like, dialed in. And I'm like, oh.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I can, anyway, I can frame it as good parenting. Yep.
0: Yeah. I try to frame it as good parenting, but, uh, watching, uh, YouTube videos of jujitsu in front of my girls has led my wife to say many things to me. None of them are positive, but she definitely said many things.
2: That's awesome. All right. So what you got for me, do this. Okay. Here's, here's the question. Okay. Um, I'm
0: ready. Long, long time listener and supporter of your work. What's the most those, important those topic? Things don't always go together. Long. Time. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah, that's that's very real. Uh, longtime listener and supporter of your work. What's the most important topic you haven't had on the podcast and believe it would be helpful? This is from a listener named Alan. A listener and a supporter. Both of those don't want to minimize either one. Um, Alan's question: What's the most important topic? I, I would love to talk about Rene Girard's work with mnemonic. Theory, but with the way that like publishing works and cycles of getting guests on and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I haven't had a, a book devoted to it. But it's something I would like to kind of dive into a little bit more. And part of the reason I want to is because of you. And we were having a conversation last week about it, and uh, I thought let's 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 do a little bit about this kind of like an introduction into Rene Girard's work with mimetic theory. So can you do me a favor? You gave me like a ninety second like recapitulation of his work, kind of like a ten thousand foot level looking down. Can you do that again right now?
2: Uh, Yeah. So Rene Girard is considered one of the most important thinkers, philosophers. Some people call him a theological anthropologist, um, but he's one of the most important thinkers of the last 150 years in France. In fact, he's kind of in their intellectual hall of fame with some other famous uh, Victor Hugo and, and some other people. So Girard the most interesting thing that I've come across that he does is he reframes the biblical narrative in which we understand this is, this is my summary of him. So he calls Jesus the last scapegoat. And what he means by that is he starts with this thing called mimetic desire. And all that means is when we're born, we don't know what we want, um, at least at a conscious direct level. So as we're growing up and Emerging in the world as a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, we learn what we want by watching others pursue what they desire. Mm -hmm. So the the, the example in my life that hits home is my 12-year-old son is a huge Kansas Jayhawks basketball fan for one primary reason – because I'm a Kansas Jayhawks basketball fan and that's kind of beautiful and gross at the same time, right? Like he didn't know that he needed Kansas until he saw me needing Kansas. So that's mimetic desire. Um, So what the the word is mimic, right? Like that's where it comes from. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. So what (laughs) Girard argues is he says, there's this sequence that happens at individual and, and corporate or systemic levels in which mimetic desire gets so ramped up that it creates rivalries, which fosters angst and fear and anger, and that anger has to be satisfied. That that communal angst, that tension, needs to be even if it's just temporary. It needs to be dealt with. And so what we do is we create and we identify scapegoats, and the angst is temporarily uh, assuaged, right? So can I can I give you, like, an everyday sports example of this? Sure. Yeah, go for it. Because someone right now is, like, falling asleep driving in Austin traffic or whatever. Like, okay, why did Luke have this guy on? Okay, so think about this. In 2003, the Chicago Cubs were, like, at their low point of their history, which is saying something, right? Because they mm-hmm. hadn't even been in the World Series since 1945, and they had not won a World Series since 1908. So they were closing in on the 100 years since they had won a World Series, okay? So it's the sixth game of the National League Championship Series. They're playing Miguel Cabrera and the Florida Marlins. It's game six. They're in Chicago Wrigley Field. Eighth inning, they're up 3-1. to one. And then Luis Castilla takes a 3-2 pitch. He puts it in the left field foul seats, While the ball crosses the plane of, if you know Wrigley, the brick wall, Moises Alou, the left fielder for the Cubs, reaches over the fence just slightly. You can look this up on YouTube to get the foul ball, which would have been a huge out in the inning, right? Baseball's on outs. It's not about time. It's about making plays in the critical moment. Well, this unsuspecting Cubs fan named Steve Bartman, Re- ah yes. Me. The, right. So he reaches over the glove of Alu. They kind of get their hands tangled. Neither of them catch it. Alou takes his glove. He slams it down, and you hear a little smattering of blues, a uh, booze, but. There it's still not clear like what happened exactly because technically, if the ball is in foul territory, yes, the player can catch it, but the fan has the right to also try and catch it. This is a huge moment, right? 99% of us would have tried to catch the ball that Bartman tried to catch. That's just a fact. Yes. Okay, so here's where it gets interesting. They give up eight total runs in that inning. They lose that game. They were up 3-2 in the series, a seven-game series, they, they make several other errors, by the way, including the shortstop botched a double play that would have ended the inning with them in the lead. They end up losing that game 8-3. to three. They lose the next night in Game 7, and Florida goes on to upset your beloved New York Yankees in the World Series in 2003. Now, here's how Rene Girard describes what happens. The Cubs have all these desires for a championship. How do they have those Mm -hmm. desires? Because their dads and their moms had those desires. So they're Mm -hmm. mimicking. This is generational desire, right? Mm -hmm. I know this as a Lions fan. We don't want to get to the Super Bowl. We just want to win a playoff game. Why? Because our dads and their dads and their dads told us that's what we want. Now, when that tension builds in Chicago that night after game six and Bartman reaching over and and, and thwarting Moises Alouf from potentially catching that ball, they need someone to blame. They need a scapegoat to temporarily assuage the tension, the drama, the anger, the frustration. I mean, this is sports at its best and at its worst. So they essentially project all their frustration on Bartman he has to be taken out of the stadium as people are chanting a curse word. I can't pronounce on. I can't say on this in case Avery is listening to your podcast, which I know is a, a long shot. But <laughs> take him out. They take him out of the field at Wrigley. People are chanting. He had to go into basically the witness protection program for several months after that. And initially, Cubs players did not help. Now the Cubs finally saw the light. They, they tried to walk it back, but this guy had his life ruined. He was canceled. He was essentially yep. canceled, which is a form of death. It is a form of violence. He took in, intense scrutiny, intense persecution. He's, be- he basically lived as a recluse for another decade after that. Now fast forward. There's this thing called the. Curse of the Billy Goat that goes back to 1945. I think the Cubs lost to the Detroit Tigers that year in the World Series. You can fact-check me on this. Um, There's this whole guy named Billy who plays for the Cubs. He does something dumb. He's got a goat at the game, which I I don't understand how that works. Maybe he's from Arkansas, and so it's just normal, right? Yeah, sounds right. He gets tossed from the game. So the curse builds up this angst over that 50-year period. So by the time you get to Bartman – People have to have a scapegoat, a literal scapegoat, and that's what happens to Bartman. René Girard would say, that's what we do systemically and societally all the time. It's what Hitler did to the Jews. It's what white Southerners did to Martin Luther King. It's what a whole nation did to Monica Lewinsky, even though she wasn't an innocent bystander in that, that we have all this angst and anger, and so we look to put the blame on the person who has the least support, so that we, for just a moment, feel assuaged by all the angst.
0: Yeah. So, if you were to take that in, like a church setting, things are going wrong at the church. So, you find the weakest person, you blame them. Whether it's yeah. you have a minister you don't like, or you have yes. you know this leader, this person, this group, and the key thing is, it's always the weakest person. Now. That can refer to the fact that they don't have like the political capital. Yes. It could be because they're not in the room. Basically, but it's something about Yeah, what is it about the weakness that why is it that person?
2: Because it's easiest and it will get the least resistance. And there's such a need for that that desire to be satisfied that you you it's what happened to Emmett Till in Mississippi during the civil rights movement, right? Who mm-hmm. who's gonna stick up for this teenage boy? What what are they yeah. gonna do, right? Now, if a, if a yeah. strong political white person had stood up for Emmett Till, that whole story would have gone differently. Um, yeah. Now, here's where it gets really interesting for Jesus people. Gerard argues that this goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, that Cain made his brother the scapegoat. His beef was actually with God. And so, yep. I, you know, I don't think the Cain Abel story is first-degree murder, but it's probably second-degree murder or manslaughter in American legal terms, right? And yeah. so Leviticus chapter 16 actually prescribes the first example of the scapegoat. A scapegoat is created in the Levitical purity code to remind people of their darkness, of their sin, of their thirst for violence. When you read the book of Hebrews, when you read Jesus in Luke 11, when you read the references in the New Testament to Jesus as the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, Gerard argues what makes Jesus unique is that instead of participating in the scapegoat system, he chooses to become the scapegoat so that every other civilization, secular, Or religious, like Rome and Israel, both religious but religious differently, could possibly have the imagination to see that there's a way out of living by the scapegoat mechanism. You don't have to project all your anger on minorities or on the Jews or on women. You don't have to project it on you know, the nerdiest kid in your ninth grade class, there's actually this thing called sacrificial love, love that's committed to nonviolence, love that is committed to suffering with someone for someone for as long as it takes as a way to get out of the cycles of violence and scapegoating that every single culture and civilization that has ever existed relies upon. So Jesus came not just to forgive us of our sins, but he came To end the cycle. So this is how we read the resurrection then. The resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus to say, I want my son to be the last scapegoat. Now, we obviously haven't listened, right? From the Third Reich to the treatment of Native Americans, we still do this thing called scapegoating. So as sophisticated as we think we are, we're actually more like the Old Testament and the New Testament than we've ever admitted to ourselves. We still rely upon having someone to blame for all of our stuff. Instead, Jesus said, yeah. I offer myself to end these vicious cycles.
0: Yeah. So, we, obviously, we see other examples, obviously, are uh, Rwandan genocide, where you have Hutu and Tutsi, um, you know, one all of a sudden because of – the difference in appearance and the difference of tribe, they become what's wrong with the country. Yeah,
2: but um, like but, a million people killed in 30 days or something. Just absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: Just a matter of days. And you had yeah. Upwards of a million people killed. That's just terrible. Uh, if you look, but like in America right now, it's, it seems like it's the political system. Like if yeah. you vote left, you vote right. Then you are scapegoat. You're what's causing problem with the world. And so there's this, uh, obviously he's an anthropologist. Like he's, he's, um, Teaching us like a new way to see the Jesus story, in that we can see others and interact with others differently because of that. So next time I'm angry at someone, like what are like like what's a a diagnostic that I can run through to help me go? Wait a minute, you don't need to scapegoat, and this is how the story of Jesus can interrupt this sort of vicious cycle of like scapegoating someone else because of the problems you're experiencing.
2: That's a great question. Uh, Well, the first thing I would say, Gerard would say, he's not doing something new he's doing something so old that it seems like it's new. So he's oh, good. Good. doing a very traditional conservative thing, right? He's showing us what was always in there that we couldn't see because of our American sensibilities and our love for kind of an ahistorical retelling of, of the gospels, like evangelicalism, right? Which doesn't really like history, but I think practically, that's a really good question. Um, some people would suggest that the first move is to say, okay, am I angry with this person because I feel like a boundary was violated or am I angry at this person because there's something about them that reminds me of me and I don't want to deal with that. That's different, right? Those two things. Yeah. are different. Sometimes in scripture, anger is justified, like a kind of a righteous justice sense of anger. Like someone was oppressed. Someone was picked on. That's different than, man i'm actually running from the things in my own life that need to change and when i see it in other people it makes me really upset and of course this is happening at a subconscious level right we don't know we're doing this but i think i think the first thing is to slow down and ask what is the source of my anger is it because of an injustice or a boundary that's been violated or is it because in this person i see something that i either don't like in myself or i don't like in someone who's really close to me on an everyday basis and then you kind of work out from there which is where I think Jesus is really helpful when saying things like, what good is it if you just love people who love you back? You know, love of enemies, love of the stranger, love of of people you love but don't like, or love that people you don't love or like. This kind of compassion and action, praying for people, praying for those who persecute you, praying for your enemies. That's actually the beginning of the pathway out of scapegoating someone. And this is the key to Girard. The worst form of scapegoating is violence, death. But there's all these other iterations along the way. Like Bartman, they didn't kill him, literally. But in every other way they did, they killed his reputation. They killed his privacy. They murdered his peace of mind. You know, the, the words they spoke were words of violence. Cancel culture on social media is a form of scapegoating, oftentimes. So there's there's a thousand ways to kill someone, the physical act like Cain and Abel is the final straw in this long continuum.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Uh, Josh, I think you should write about this somewhere. So this, uh, this is good stuff. You okay. need to take it to the next level. I'll do but, it. um, dude, th- I thank you for helping with this question. Thanks for dropping back in on the podcast. Um, no, really good.
2: Thanks Luke. Appreciate it, man.